0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Panty Personals. Now, you all, of course, know that I am the Queen of Ireland, but my Panty Personals guest today Just maybe the court jester Because it's none other than Circus master, carnival showman Cabaret shapeshifter And rock peacock, Jerry Fish Now for those of you of a certain age Jerry is synonymous with The 90s band he fronted And Emotional Fish While for those of you Whose chickens are still In the springtime of their lives And are devotees of Electric Picnic God remember festivals You'll know Jerry as such a crowd pleaser That they gave him his own stage At the Electric Picnic The Jerry Fish Electric Sideshow And fingers crossed We will get to see that possibly later this summer. Anyway, and benefiting such a cool cat, Jerry has already lived a good half dozen lives or so. Uh, He was born here in Dublin, raised in London South End in a migrant melting pot of cultures, spent a few years wandering the Mediterranean in search of himself as a self-proclaimed beach bum, though these days the wanderer has settled down living the country life with his lovely wife, Nikki, their four children and one spectacular moustache. Jerry Fish, welcome. Thank you very much. <laughs> Lovely to have you here. Great I, to be here. I feel here. like um, it's it's weird we didn't have you in here before this. And was I, I, you I've and your been just waiting, waiting. <laughs> <laughs> um, so obviously we have something in common, Jerry, that being that we've both sort of developed a sort of a, an alter ego or a stage persona hmm. and sort of built an alternate universe around and everything. So like how did... You go from—I mean, I'm assuming on your passport it says Jerry Whelan. Jared Whelan, yeah. Jared Whelan. Was it yeah. It
1: always feels very official. It feels like I'm about to be arrested when I <laughs> yeah. say Jared Whelan. Yeah.
0: Your mother, I assume, still calls you Jared, does she? Jared, yeah, yeah. And even, any, anyone very close to me would call me Jared. Yeah. So where did Jared and and Jerry with a J fish? begin? When did that sort of happen?
1: Well, with an emotional fish, I was. they, they called me Wheeling. I grew up with it in South London with uh, Gerard. It's a very common name in Ireland, but it, in South London it was Gerard. You know what I mean? Yeah, it was yeah, like yeah, yeah. I was a jockey or something. So it was never, it was a never comfortable name to grow up with. Um, but really the Jerry fish came. And I guess after an emotional fish, I dropped out of music for about mm. seven years. I kind of really had enough of the industry and was quite tired after touring the world yep. for five years or more. The Pogues, uh, Joey Cashman always called me Jerry Fish. So Jerry Fish was always there uh, because of the band. So I I just came back as Jerry Fish. So I had another fight telling journalists, it's a J, it's a J. <laughs> and uh, I think, you know, Jellyfish, basically, oh, you know, right. yeah, trying yeah, to yeah, yeah, yeah. get something people could remember. And then I, I formed a band called the Mudbug Club.
0: The moustache, I guess, came from the circus. Love of yeah. circus. So. Well, you're also ahead of your time here because the, you know, the the circus moustache is quite. Uh, it's A very now. Thing. It's yeah. very now. But Where did
1: the fish part come from? Well, an, an emotional fish, I was constantly asked the question, where did I get that mm. name from? And I probably, It is a great name. Well, it's the 13th worst name voted by the BBC. <laughs> it's like up there <laughs> with like the tragic name Kajagugu and stuff like that. No
0: way. Yeah. Uh, no way. The, the BBC got that very bad. But It's wrong. quite it's a I great guess
1: name. There was comedy in it for me, but like I do interviews in Holland or Germany or... Or Scandinavia, and they would see the intellectual kind of an emotional fish, and uh, you know, the philosophical side of it. But I um, it could have came from Francis Ford Coppola's rumble fish. Oh, right. It maybe came from that, but I guess... But it I also get does
0: make sense in this, thing. we say, oh, he's a cold fish, so then he'd be an emotional yeah, fish. Yeah, and
1: fish became, uh, yeah, an emotional fish, I just really kind of always irked me that they, you know, when they talk about a goldfish not having a memory, and which isn't true. Oh mo- yeah, you know, I mean now, I mean yeah, there you go ahead head of my time they've done that octopus, my friend the octopus. I'm oh, yes, yeah, yeah. realizing human intelligence cannot be transferred to the animal yeah. world. We were connected, you know what I mean? And I guess it was a play on that vanity of humanity, mm-hmm.
0: you know. You are the Well, let's go back to the beginning. So you were born in Dublin and then your family moved to South London. And so your, your primary school years and secondary school years were South London? So um, yes. The,
1: uh, most of the, my education yeah. was in South London.
0: And this would have been in the 70s?
1: 60s. 60s, 60s, 60s and 70s. 60s and I was born 70. in 62. So my, my mother and father would have left in 1960 to London, and my mother came home to have a first child in Ireland. Yeah. And so they, they would have, you know, arrived with the kind of no blacks, no dogs, no Irish yeah. thing. And be uh, like with the people of the Windrush.
0: And and obviously very different from Dublin at that time. I mean, Dublin is, is fairly multicultural these days, but at that time...
1: Dublin was white and it wasn't just white, it was kind of uh, uh, incestuous. Yeah, the, I guess you had the Catholic Church, which I guess my family were all from Ringsend. My family maybe would have escaped mm-hmm. a lot of that. It wasn't like rural Ireland, yeah. how, how how they suffered even more. But um, my father, I think, left when he was even younger, a teenager. He was sent to Birmingham. So it was always just get the boat, you know, yeah. get away from here. And, and then I experienced that in the 80s. So basically, I grew up in South London and, and I guess I, as I get older, I, I'm more from that. You know, I would say I was raised by Dickensian gangsters and Irish gambling men, what, what, what <laughs> scraped up a living and washed it down the drain in the South London, you know. And Charlie Chaplin was from South London, William Blake. So I've really embraced where I grew up and the multicultures. You know, I grew up with mostly West Indian kids and uh, my street was a, probably a, a ghetto of predominantly mm. Docklands, Dublin people, and it was very tough. But I'm really delighted as an adult, I grew up with that kind yeah. of multicultural.
0: Well, you, and you, you say it was tough, but do you look back in those years as like, a, you know, a good childhood or?
1: I, I, you know, they say there's no such thing as a happy childhood, you know, and I kind of can relate to that because your mind doesn't really change. You're, you're, you're always a kid. You know, I grew up in very rough South London is famously a very rough place. Uh, And I I guess I was I was scared as a kid, a little timid, and I was Irish. I was reminded I was Irish every day. You know, Mm. the IRA were bombing London. I think the Irish kind of got a racism was everywhere in the 70s. It was kind of on the TV, you know, Mm. so I grew up with a lot of racism. And then when I came back to Ireland at maybe 13, uh, you know, being an Irish kid all my life, taking a black eye for for this country more times than <laughs> I can count. Uh, I was an English bastard, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I just. Did stu- you
0: arrive back with
1: like a full on London accent? Not, not particularly, because it's like my mother. And all the kids, you kind of, we'd all go to school. There were two kids born in England in this class of forty kids when I was a kid in school. And we'd all go home and we'd adopt our native accents at home, and we'd yep. have Cockney accents in school, <laughs> and then we'd go home. We'd have my mum wouldn't let us talk about anything other yep. than a Dublin accent. Same with the West Indian kids, African kids. Everybody had their own accent at home. So I wouldn't say I had. Well, some people think I have an English accent now, but.
0: No. But, but and it was a big Irish family. You're the eldest of six. I'm
1: the eldest of six. The the rest of my siblings were born in, in London. But I just think it was just I had a culture shock when I landed here, which I probably yeah. still haven't recovered from, you know, it's yeah. like, what is this division? You know, when I was maybe 16, I moved back to the UK and mm. started kind of move, going to and yeah. fro.
0: So you had the London The South London experience growing up, you came back here for a couple of years, but you felt like an outsider here because now you were the London kid. And then at 16, you you went back to London. Uh, No, I went back to,
1: I actually went back to uh, Glasgow and became a Catholic pastor. (laughs) (laughs) I was very confused and still am about um, why people want to kind of pigeon, you know, that we're all something. And I just think that's actually not how we, we we're all completely individual. So I became yeah. a kind of anti-nationalist. Is that yeah. no, no, I mean, that's wrong as well. But it's like it's it's just I, I wanted there to be an island somewhere just yeah. for me and my kind, yeah. if you like. You know, I mean, very- no,
0: I, I get that, and I know what you mean by, by struggling to by words. But in other words, you didn't pin all your identity on one nationality or island. Or anything. Yeah.
1: I just kind of became very aware it was you kind of grow up and you realise the adults are full of shit, you know what yeah. I mean? And the teachers. I was very conscious as a as a child that I was being taught rubbish. Mm. I mean if you, when you're educated in 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 England at that time, Oliver Cromwell was a um folk hero yeah. who'd kind of beheaded a king and set up parliament. So he still is kind of seen that way. And I'd no idea he'd even been to Ireland, you know. Yeah. So you come to Ireland, you realize, oh, why are they not? And I just kind yeah. of became very aware very young,
0: there's a lot of crap. And yeah. still is, you know. Uh, so in, in a way, you're being set up to be the classic outsider here.
1: You know, I kind of hated it as a child, but now I embrace it definitely yes. much as an adult. You're better off finding your own identity in this world because yeah. the, the facts are we're all completely individual. Well, I, mean, I couldn't.
0: Agree more, obviously. Oh, I knew you would. Uh, but so you then do sort of, I, which was sort of a classic thing at the time, really, I guess, you went off travelling and you did the kibbutz thing and you did Greek islands. I and, did. You know, certainly if you're writing this a narrative in the book, this would be the chapter where you're off trying to find yourself. I mean, is that how you would I, see it? Yourself? I'm
1: still trying to find myself. I don't think that journey ever ends. I love sunshine, so yeah. I'd know idea of politics quite ignorant i guess but but i went off and did kibbutzim and just i remember the first night i slept on a beach and and woke up to the stars and thought oh my god this is all i need is Mm. a sleeping bag yeah and you know and a canister of water and, and each day so i really fell in love with that And I guess I'd I'd been reading Carowak and Burroughs and I was really on that. At the end, really, when I look back, I was a hedonist, really. I was just trying to have the best adventure and the best time I could have, you know. Well, you know, as far as I'm concerned, every young person should be a hedonist for a while. Yeah, it was great to just I mean, I loved I spent a lot of time in the Sinai. I met, you know, stayed with Bedouins and got to know other cultures outside Mm. our own. You know, that they fell in love with the kind of the Arab culture.
0: And you, you did spend a lot of time in Greece, right?
1: Loved Greece as well. Yeah, I kind of I lived on a rock for like a, a, I think six weeks uh, in in Naxos. So this would have been around nineteen eighty to eighty two. Mm. So I was very young, I guess. Yeah. And then
0: you returned to Dublin in what year?
1: I could never keep still, so I was l- kind of living in Dublin, sometimes in in Glasgow, mm. sometimes in London travelling is doing jobs, making enough money just to go somewhere. Yeah. So I guess I was playing in bands, I was, you know, kind of that weren't really kind of going anywhere.
0: But so so one thing that I find interesting is um so you're about six years older than I am, I think. Yes. And then um you know I was in Dublin being an art student in the mid eighties. I remember you landing. <laughs> and <laughs> and you were around at that time, too, in the yes. 80s. And, you know, Dublin in the 80s was um, what, what I say is sort of aggressively grey and heterosexual. <laughs> like, it, mm, it, it, yeah. I mean, it, it had, of course, a sort of a punk and rock influence too, too, but it was it was a hard town at the time. Um, it was
1: mm-hmm. quite
0: grey. And then there was pockets of what I think of as resistance. So, yeah. and, and and you were in some of those same pockets where where the gays were were, were resisting too like Bartley Dunns and Bartley uh, Dunns
1: was my you know I was my, my my younger brother is gay and he thought I was gay you know so because Quentin Chris is a hero of mine and Andy Warhol and all yeah. my icons were were um and, and a lot of my friends, you know, I, yeah. I, I'd go out with... So if you were a punk, you couldn't get served everywhere. So the yes. gay, gay bars were open to kind of everybody. Same when you're traveling. Yeah. It was just very
0: open... Well, and I bar guess it's exactly the same outside. About things. It. it was that it was, I think it was like it was a misfit bar. So all the people who w- were for uncomfortable getting served in other places or mightn't even. So there was punks in one corner. There was a few, you know. Do you remember the Rona, in another. You, there was the gays in another. Like it was very. Well, yeah. I mean, I had a lot of gay,
1: gay friends. So I could sit in any corner. Yeah. I wasn't really kind of stuck in any corner and didn't yeah. believe in any corner so I had a lot of like I remember it was tough because I remember it, the gay scene the certainly all my friends were like very camp it was yeah. the, it was the time of Dallas so yeah. it was a lot of show a lot of show <laughs> yeah. And I mean I remember I'd go out with friends and at the end of the night they go you know it's, it's time for kind of make up your mind time yeah. I'd say oh I, I don't think I can go there you know and it's um you know Mr. Pussy became a very good, dear friend of mine and always encouraging. So I guess growing up in such a diverse thing, I didn't see any.
0: Yeah. You know, everyone's individual. But that's I also think that is to do with your sort of outsider quality that you recognise other outsiders. I mean, that's my theory about you, Jerry. And oh, you can reject uh, it or well, embrace I, it. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm
1: more comfortable with people who don't have a specific identity yeah. or a real kind of. Uh, I mean, the Jerry Fisher Electric Sideshow is unity through diversity is our creed. And really what it means is whoever you are, come in no one's going to judge you here. Yeah. You know, it's and I think it's about respecting Individuality, rather than even groups, because I also remember the gay scene uh, kind of uh, almost overnight becoming quite militant, and there yeah. was a re- definite reason for that. But it was like, oh my god, what happened to all my shoulder friends with shoulder <laughs> yes. pads? Everyone's got a moustache and a shaved head and is is dressing like a biker, you know? Yes.
0: Well, the clone thing that we call it, you know, the clone look with the you know the check shirts and the denims and, and the and, shaved and I, heads and the mustache it was like a reappropriation of this ultra masculinity yeah and i get it you know
1: i've also traveled in the states and san francisco I've, i i totally get it. it was and it had to happen i remember i remember the george when it was Probably a quarter the size yes, of this room, tiny. but it had mirrors. Do you know what I mean? And yes. if there were four of us in there, it'd be like, wow, it's stuffed.
0: You well, know, some of these call it. Oh, it was like the inside of a hairdresser's brain. You know, it, was it was very like this much tiny. A like room with mirrors around. You know, yeah. Like <laughs> so and
1: and you know and it was just great crack. You know. So, to me, especially during this time, you know, spending time at home, my journey is as much, as much a spiritual journey as any other journey. Mm-hmm. So. And I take a lot of solace from uh, indigenous people and their, how they taught things. And if they had somebody who was like a gorgeous panty, you would be a healer or a medicine person. Because if you were blessed with uh, two sides, if you like, and in a way we're finding a way back to that individual that we're all individual. Mm-hmm. I mean, has nobody noticed? We've all got different fingerprints. You know, we're mm-hmm. we're completely different, and not to judge, I guess. You know.
0: Then I guess in the late '80s, you got together with a gang, and you became an emotional fish. Yes. Um, and you had huge success in, in you know in in well with with the songs everybody remembers, yeah. but so you had huge success in. What was the music industry then? Because it's changed so much in the last Absolutely. few years. Um But you had the classic ride for, for a while. I did have yeah. the classic
1: ride. How did you know? Does it show? It's like, it's like, it's like. Um, I remember the band getting together. Uh, Ender and Dave, Dave a guitarist, and Ender Wyatt the bass player, um, saying to me, "Look, we're going to put this band together." And I'd been in bands, you know, a lot. I'd, yeah, you know, I played. I'd been in bands for years, you know, kind of, and then gone, ah, this is just, you know, yeah. but I couldn't stop traveling. So I kind of made a commitment and kind of focused on this yeah. band. And within
0: two years. You were signed by Warners. We yeah, signed had the, whole, the biggest record yeah. deal
1: in Ireland at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, we had 32 A&R men at one of our gigs. I think there were four punters. So it was a very big thing. Yeah. Huge thing. And I'd seen Mark Bolan and T-Rex as a kid, I remember. And I was a, I was kind of a little stout, kind of freckly. My mother used to cut my hair, so I had a fringe. I wasn't a very attractive little boy, <laughs> but I, I just wanted to be a rock star. It was yeah. really, I thought, that's a good job, you know. And, uh, yeah, it happened. It, it happened, mm. you know, all of a sudden it was there. And, you know, we signed a massive deal and we toured all over the world. I didn't know anything about the industry. Yes. When when you know a record label I thought a record label was a piece of paper that was in the middle of the record. I didn't realise there were loads of different ones. Mm. So it was an education
0: all the way. And because it really was it really happened for you guys. I mean, you had this huge hit with celebrate, mm-hmm. um and then you were like you were you know, opening for you two on the zoo tour, you Brent were Europa, you know Simple yeah. Mind. Celebrate. This part is over. I'm going And, and like so many people in the music industry that, that that I've spoken to, maybe later you became quite disillusioned, maybe with the, the music industry. But for those few years, were you absolutely living your rock star dream? I I
1: saw the uh, singer with the Cramps take a piss backstage with, in high heels. Do you know what I mean? And kind of played with the Ramones as well as Nirvana, Happy Mondays. So it, I was really just enjoying that side of I mean, the musical side, and to be in a, a rock band at that time is mm. I mean, you look at history, it's like I well, don't think I'd fancy it now. <laughs> I don't know, it was really, you know, we still had the CBGB's, I met Debbie Harry in the corridor, you know, I think she thought I was going to attack on us, I'm in the support band, you know, (laughs) so, you know, I had an amazing experience with all the idols I had as a kid, met David Bowie, met all these amazing people, Mm. the industry sucks, it still sucks, it's, you know, it's like swimming with sharks, and it's not a very pretty thing, you know, Mm. I think when the Motion Fish finished their second album, I remember we went for a drink in Camden and it was the difficult second album and it was an extremely difficult. We had three producers, Dave Stewart, Alan Mulder and Clive Langer. So it was a really difficult album for us to do. And we'd finished it. We had a drink in Camden and I became really I like almost jacket. I became quite irate with my manager, an A&R man. And I was about to kick off and I thought I have to calm down. I sat down. Next to a woman, um, a magic woman with a crystal ball, and she she said to me, "What's wrong with you?" And I was like, "Oh, it's that that fucker!" And that, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna kill them, you know. And she said, "Who are they?" And I said, "That's my manager, and that's the head of the record company." And she very cleverly told me, "They are incidentals because of your talent. You will always have those people around you. It's changed, mm. and it's changed so much for the better in many ways." You can be a solo artist. I mean, I left the whole experience really knowing that artistic control is financial control. If you're running your own game, that's when yeah. you can do what you want. You know, when you're in a machine, you know, they want you to be the next you too. They want you to yeah. be the next something else that happens, you know.
0: Yeah. And these days, you know, it just doesn't happen like that anymore because the industry no. didn't change so much.
1: But I mean, even since the Jerry Fish uh, and the Mudbook Club, if you wanted to release a single, you had to press 5,000 singles. You know, you had to because you had no chance of charting unless you were up up around 4,000. Yeah. So, so, you know, your your mom, your aunties, everyone would be in golden discs. You know what I mean? Everybody would <laughs> get as many. Because you were playing the same game as the majors were. Yeah. Be- And And I managed to play that game very well because I'd been there, you know. And then if you had a hit, you'd quickly have to print up 10,000. So it was a really expensive game to get in, you know, and it required a lot of investment. Now it's released a single... A push of a button and it's yeah. released. sense and love will break your fall Be yourself Mistakes and all This is no time, no time to get angry It is high time we got along Be yourself Mistakes and all Keep The only home. difference is when I released the first Jerry Fish album it was on sale for Twenty-one ninety-nine in the shops and I got seven euro out of that. Mm. Now, nobody buys music. So it's a yes, completely it's different, different
0: game. One. Yes. Well, so, so having spoken so much about music, let's have a little musical interlude. Let's do that. What's
1: the first song you're going to do? Uh, I'm hugely inspired by an artist called Daniel Johnson. So I'm going to do a rendition of one of his songs, True Love Will Find You in
0: the End. And the lovely and wonderful Keen Boiling is coming uh, you on the Ivories.
1: True love will find you in the end. Just who's your friend Don't be sad, I know you will But don't give up until True love will find you in the end a promise with a catch, only if you're looking can it find you, for true love is searching too, but how can it recognize you unless you step out into the light? said, I know you will, but don't give up until true love will find you.
0: Gorgeous, Jerry. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and beautiful accompaniment there by the lovely. Wonderful, Kean. gorgeous um, man. So, Jerry, before this time, we were talking about your um, time, sort of in the big jaw of the record industry yes. and all of that, and the highs and lows of that. Your life now is is very different. Um, you're you're in the countryside. I right? am. You're. Um, You're a South London boy, Dublin boy, now living in in Carlo. is it? I live where the
1: last wolf in Ireland was killed. I'm there to kind of keep (laughs) her company.
0: Um, And with your lovely wife, Nikki and four four kids, four children. So so your husband and daddy in the countryside. I imagine that that isn't back at the time when you were in the jaws of the record industry, that isn't how you saw it panning out, is it?
1: You know, I don't know if I've ever had a plan. You Mm. know, I kind of like just kind of, I guess, just like tumbleweed, just kind of went through it. All I wanted was adventure. That's the only thing I wanted from life. I lost a friend when he was 20 and I just, that struck me as you're alive. Mm. He's not. Now every moment is your special moment. Mm. So I guess I always had the dream like everyone else of living in the country. I'm there 16 years it's completely silent. It unnerves me all the time. I'm like I, I can I, you know I, I'm not a relaxing. I'm very. I'm more relaxed if it's just a hustle bustle of people and you mm. know. I, I kind of see myself as a bit of an artful dodger. Do you know, the more yeah. more pockets that are around, the better. You oh, know, so so I'm really yeah. This outland. So it doesn't it 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 jars with me. I mean, I was there a year and my, my mother in law is from Glastonbury, and she's originally from West, she knows the country, and she's like, um, uh, do you want to go for a walk, Jer?" And I'm like, at night time. <laughs> really, you know, the, it gets dark in the yes. country. If it gets dark in the city, you are going to be mugged, you know what yeah. I mean? So it just, that whole thing was very difficult, especially for the first years, and still I'm not completely relaxed, but I know it's good for me. Yeah. It's good for me to just... Breathe, Jerry. And mm. I don't think I could have imagined and created a circus as big as the Jerry Fish Electric yeah. Sideshow if I was in an apartment mm. in Dublin. So I really, I live in a Shangri-La. I live, I live in a very, really beautiful
0: place. And But so it, you sort of burned out in a way with the music industry and you kind of, you know, left music behind for, for a while, a little while. I I, just, I did,
1: almost seven years. Yeah, Well, I got into motorcycles and I got into vintage and classic motorcycles and okay. had an adventure there, you know.
0: And then am I right in thinking that in some ways it was the birth of your first daughter, your first child, that sort of reintroduced you in a way to your love of music or something? E- everything collapsed.
1: Um In my life, the band um we lost our record deal. We ended up in court with a record label for ages um and then I divorced um so it was a pretty low place and then I met Nikki and it just kind of i did you know as a friend of mine said to me uh you know you don 't think you're worthy you know what I mean and I had to kind of feel worthy of this beautiful woman i 've always wanted children, so we had a child together and and I remember Ella in my arms this It sounds very corny, but I really didn't want I'll do anything to survive. I'm a survivor, but I didn't want to be coming back from a building site or something and saying to my little girl, "You know you know, I used to be in a rock band yeah I used to play to tens of thousands of people. <laughs> I didn't want that regret so Nicky got behind me and I just got stuck into this Jerry Fish in the Mudbug Club idea because, because music business business had changed so much. I was so armed with experience that I was advising people, you know, you don't need a label. You just do an mm. independent record. And and they were going off and becoming hugely successful while I was painting houses or doing yep. whatever I could for a living. And uh, I thought it's time for you to take your own um, and it was a real gulp, you know. It was a real invested everything I had in a record. And uh, it's is
0: so much harder when you have a kid to, and you to worry it's about. It's weird, you
1: know, because it's like I would have thought if you said, How would you react to having a child? I thought, Well, get a day job, you know what I mean? Get your shit together, you know. Mm. Whereas I did the opposite. I kind of went, I have to f- f- do what I love doing to be a. A good father, mm. you know, to kind of for for my daughter to look at me and say, you know, yeah, I love this guy, but you know, whatever. I just I just had to be true to myself, you know. Yeah,
0: and especially if you're going to be teaching that to your kids, oh, you they do what you love. And exactly. Stuff. Yeah. yeah, I just I didn't want yourself. to be this jaded guy.
1: Come from a job that I hated, you know. So you know, they say fortune favors the brave. It, it kind of worked out, and I'm back yeah. in, you know.
0: So talk to me then about where did the idea for the Jerry Fish in the Mud gl- 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 Bug Club thing come That's from? That's why I dropped that name. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it is a matter of <laughs> But you like, so where did the inspiration or whatever come from for this sort of the new version of you?
1: I remember the album being reviewed and, and it, the first album, Be Yourself. And it was like, never has a record booked the zeitgeist with so much enthusiasm, <laughs> you know. into a room and i just made music again with music i i i like to switch genres i don't i don't like anything to be mono i yeah. think it should be you know do one thing i love rock music the mud club was this i thought i'm gonna give them something to remember we had like a four five piece brass section playing in a bar in ennis you know and i used to buy all this tinsel and dress you know dress the whole pub in tinsel so anyone that paid their tenor they they went home going shit that was a 50 quid show
0: You are a real born showman. I mean, you're you're a carny guy. I'm a carny yeah. guy. I,
1: well, you know, people ask me as well, where did you get your music? My father's a great singer, he was a great crooner, and we grew up with a lot of crooner music. Um, and my mother never heard us sing, but she's a total drama queen. You know, everything's <laughs> neurosis. So definitely got the theatrics from. I, I definitely feel when like I'm on stage, I'm like my mama, you know. Mm. I, I was thinking about it the other day as well. It's very important, no matter who you meet, that you you make them feel better about their day. You, mm. They smile, or and you get a laugh as well. To me, that's that that's entertainment, and the streets are full of them, you know. So, yeah. so I guess it's a craft with keying, touring, and being just me, bare naked on, on stage. I've learned what I do best yeah. and that's be a nervous wreck and just be myself, you know, and let people realize, Oh, it's, it- you know, it, anything can I spend most of the time in with the audience. So I don't know how I'm going to come back.
0: You know, you all, I mean, you described yourself there as being bare naked on stage. And then you meant that metaphorically. But you have also have. Uh, been, been, <laughs> been um, literally bare I, I naked. Forgot, oh yeah, I forgot about that. I'd re- I completely actually had forgotten about that. It's amazing the research we do for this <laughs> yeah, show. I, I had, I'd written a song
1: called, again, again, I had this um way back in the 90s. You know, I was kind of armed with these Facts about feminism, really. This is called If God Was a Girl. As a child, I always thought, well, that's not fair. That's not fair with my mom, you know how my. My mom wasn't educated and mm. ended up in a sewing factory. And I'm like, it was just, it was, nothing was fair. And then I was armed with the fact that at the turn of the last century, the 20th century, it was said if a woman was educated, it would reduce the size of her ovaries. <laughs> so there's a hangover from all these old patriarchal bullshit, you know. Mm. So I'd written a song called If God Was a Girl. And... <laughs> So we performed the, the the song, and I just I don't know I, I can't remember where it started, but I thought kick well, off, you know, and I just got.
0: <laughs>
1: I remember um, we played in Marseille. I'm born on Bastille Day. So it was <laughs> Ma- Bastille Day in Marseille, uh, my 30th birthday with you two. The guys built me a cake and Moknes came on with the big heads and gave me the cake. And I got the kick off with just a big bunch of flowers that they'd given me in front of like tens of thousands of people. And the high was just amazing. I have to say the drop from that is a bit (laughs) much. (laughs) But yeah, I did, I did that for a tour. I we got banned in America, I think for me doing it as well, you know, yeah. From some radio station or whatever. It's, you know, it's like, it's just so much bullshit around, you know? Um,
0: so let's hear the second song you're going to do for us.
1: Yes. The second song is, a, I guess, a reflection. I remember writing a song about being an artist and basically spending a lot of time up your own arse, basically. You know, I kind of like <laughs> yeah. just constantly thinking about yourself and getting down. You know, so I wrote a song called Where the Sun Don't
0: Shine. <laughs> well, it sounds perfect for this moment. Mm-hmm. And again, the beautiful and lovely Keen is going to be accompanying you.
1: Nobody knows who I am Nobody understands The man I am The man I aim to be Nobody follows me But I know I've got to let it go I can't spend all my time Where the sun don't shine
0: Thank you so much for being up yourself. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can't spend all your time there. <laughs> no. Um, one of the very interesting things to me, um, and something we sort of have in common, is a great love of the wonderful Mr. Quentin Crisp. Mm. Um, now, people could easily guess that I might uh, have a great growl for Quentin Crisp. Um where did your girlfriend Quentin Crisp come from
1: Well I can't remember if I saw the Naked Civil Servant on TV with John Hurt or I or I had the book and I and I read this book and it really comes from that I mean you know we talk about our battles Quentin was glamorous in yeah. in, in wartime you know yeah. and Soho I guess so I guess it was a London thing as well and and knowing Soho as a child and it's a quite a sad Book really, yeah. But it, he he just stuck to his guns and the, just the tenacity of being an individual. And you may correct me because I don't know if it was Quinton or Andy Warhol said, "I I don't want to go to heaven because the lighting's just too bad." You know, <laughs> you know, I much prefer, uh, you know, like hell has better lighting. So it's kind of, uh, you know, surely there's a gay heaven, and I just. I just fell in love with Quentin yeah. I,
0: I, I, you know. Well, he really was spectacular. And I tell you what I do quite regularly now, okay. is I go down a little YouTube hole of watching his, his interviews and chat shows. And oh, my God, he was the greatest chat show guest ever in the history of chat shows. Like, they're all spectacular. I
1: haven't, um, I haven't, I should do that. Oh, my God. And, you know, it's just after he's moved
0: to New York. And yeah.
1: Do you play any sports that you live in America, American football, anything like
0: that? Oh, no. Now
1: I'm happily beyond the point where anyone can expect any activity of me whatsoever.
0: <laughs> you know, every single line out of his mouth is just so but, but, but funny Quinton, and but sharp. But and... had
1: memorised all his books, you know. His yes. shows were like just excer- excerpts from the book. And he, he came to Dublin. Yes, because I want to know you, you met him. Oh, my goodness. I, I, he came to the Gate Theatre... On, on tour. And I probably bought the very first ticket. So I I went alone because it's not like I was in a Quinton Crisp club or anything. <laughs> I don't think I knew anybody. It was just my thing, you know. Yeah. And because the Naked Civil Servant had made Quentin famous, he'd written the second book, How to Become a Virgin, bought the ticket, said, I'm going, right, I'm getting my books, two paperbacks signed. And I sitting in the front of the gate, it's not like I was a theatre goer, a bit of, bit of a kind of walking class Jetto boy, you know. And uh, I, I even remember being uncomfortable in the theatre. Just too many posh people around. I don't know, I was I was petrified. So sat in the front row and Quinton's going through the book and I, I was lip syncing every word because I knew that the, it's so well. But in the middle of his set. He sits in a chair and signs autographs. But he paused, and I, I just said, "Quinton, can I get your autograph?" And he was like, "Hey, eh, yes, you know, come up." <laughs> and I proceeded to lift my foot onto to climb on the stage from where my seat was in the gate. And he said, "No, no, no, use the stairs." And I, by the time I got to the staircase, I was in a queue of three or four yeah. people. And I'm sure he thought I was actually just going to pull out a knife and (laughs) kill him, you know.
0: Well, he's a man who left his full name and telephone number in the the telephone book, even in New York, because he just liked strangers calling him.
1: Well, it was just so it was was a real moment for me because I I remember people asked me, were you ever starstruck? And it's probably the only time because he said, "Uh, uh, what's your name? I had no idea what my name was. (laughs) I had no idea. So it was just I just still in love with Quentin Crisp. I just Mm. think what a remarkable human being, you know, discovered this beautiful man, you know.
0: And, you know, basically, since the very first theatre show that I wrote, you know, whatever, and all the ones that I've done, I've always thought, well, I just do a Quentin Crisp because he used to do the second half of the show. We just let people ask him questions. But he was so brilliant at just responding. Uh, Mr. You've been very candid with us this evening, and I'd like to ask this one question. Um, have you ever had sex with a woman? No, I haven't, but I do realize that the question is relevant. I now know a lot of homosexuals who popped into bed with women in a spirit of hilarious research. LAUGHTER I'm
1: also in love with you. Do you know, be, <laughs> I'll be honest. I mean, I've been around since the first alternative Miss Island. Yes, to me, you were alternative, an alternative Miss Ireland, Island yeah. was the <laughs> best night of the calendar in Dublin. And I remember there was one in McGonagall's. I don't know if you were around then.
0: Uh, yeah, the, the very first one in 1986 was, actually it was in Sides. Sides, yeah. It was Sides, yeah. I mean, why is that gone? That was just the best. Because, you know, um, the alternative Miss Ireland had a good run of 18 shows over 21 years or whatever, something mm. like that, because it was all being done on the on the favour and the ask and the borrow. Mm. And the bigger it became, the more time it took every year. And the people who were sort of core involved had, in the beginning, they'd been students or half-employed or whatever. And and by out. the end, you know, these some of them had like really proper jobs mm. or were, you know, had moved to other places, whatever. It just became such... You're, you're a big thing. And then we had this long, years long discussion Will we just kill her while people still love her, mm. you know. Probably but, a but, better
1: but, question is why is it not funded and why is it not on TV? We need this because... Like,
0: but we, I have to say, when we finished it, we thought that some other event would come along with the same spirit yeah, and that would take its place. Because it, basically we gotten too old. It needs young, crazy, of young course, people. Of but, well, but, but something hasn't yet come in that... To that space to replace I get, it. Even the Jerry Fish Electric Sideshow was very much
1: inspired by the mm. old tent of Miss Island because there was also a great mix of, uh, I hate the word straight, I prefer groovy, you know, <laughs> but like there was a great gay straight mix. And that, you know, I, I don't like, I don't like borders, obviously, yeah. my, because of how I grew up. Uh, you know, I mean, I'd love a campaign to get rid of the border, but if we're going to get rid of the borders, let's get rid of the Cork and carry borders <laughs> and the, you know, like <clears throat> Carlo Wexford. K- as K- as we you protect me. Yeah, it's just, you know, people are obsessed with borders. <laughs> yeah. And I just thought the alternative asylum was borderless, you know. Well, there was yeah. nobody at the door going, mm, you're not very funky, yeah. you know. It's, so it was just a wonderful night. And I do remember you appearing on the scene and being, I'm going to confess now, I remember you being on the scene. I just like, you know, Vader is obviously a friend yeah, and Shirley, yeah. uh, you know, and Mr. Pussy's a dear friend yeah. of mine. And I have to say, now I am going to, I am going to get this out because I'm such a big fan of just, your just intelligence and just wisdom, you know, oh, well. even no, but, but when but I remember when uh, you appeared on Brendan O'Connor, and sitting back on my couch, I'm like, Finally, you know, one of us, you know, and I kind of thought, well, hang on, Jerry, you're not, you know, a drag. It's like you represented what's really going on or
0: something, you know. Well, you, you're well. thank you for that. But you're also you're right about the old Terminus Ireland and all the other, the other stuff that, that I've been involved in is, you know, there was always a very conscious um, idea or effort behind it that it wasn't about a particular section of the community. It was about... um Colorizing the 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 rest of the community mm. w- with with the sparkle and the glitter that this part of the community had to offer. So, like what I used to say, about the alternative was Ireland. It may on the surface be what you know, th- people think in one thing, but to us it was always about expanding the definition of Irishness. It, it, in a you know, nutshell, by making it yeah. more...
1: Well, qu- not even expanding the definition, but opening the doors, Do yeah. you know, it's because... Uh,
0: well, I always felt that the definition of Irishness used to be very narrow. And, and you had to be, you know, like an Irish boy had to like, you know, yes. U2 and play football. There was like a very narrow range. And and we were trying to you make that more elastic.
1: Yeah, I guess growing up in South London, I've kind of been... Uh, bolstered from that Irishness yeah. as such. It is about inclusivity, but it's, yeah. we're talking about Quinton Crisp. Now, please don't be offended, darling, but you're not the first drag queen. Do you know? No, oh God, they're, no. They were yeah. in Egypt, you know yeah. what I mean, in, in ancient Egyptians. Yeah. It's a very old culture, and it's really about just it, stop hiding. You know, it yeah. was really yeah. kind of like, let's stop hiding. Yeah. And we've a long way to go on so, so many more issues, you yeah. know. So I think... Um, it's like fe- festivals. I'm in love with festivals. I fell in love with the Glastonbury Festival. But
0: well, festivals uh, have the same atmosphere that things like the Alternative Returns are not had. Borders break down in the field and, and people become much more relaxed with other people who aren't necessarily exactly the same as them. And it has it, a... It,
1: it, well, I, I was for, for ages called it the last the last bastion of community. Yes. And community is really about Caring for everybody, caring for each other, mm. and I think just that. Glastonbury in particular, I don't think anything is better than Glastonbury. It is still the mothership. Um, what a lot of people don't realise is it's it's a charity gig. It goes to Greenpeace and Water yeah. Aid, and it's about saving the planet. And everybody's there. All ages are there. It's just a wonderful collective of of people. Mm. I think it, I think ageism is another thing we have to watch. So I think it's it being inclusive is, is wonderful.
0: Yeah. So and, and, you, and you have become synonymous with Ireland's, you know, um, Glastonbury in a way, Electric Picnic, with, with your own stage there. And you sort of create this whole circus, carnival music atmosphere at this stage. And that has, I assume, played a huge part in your life over the last X yes. number of years. And of course, then last year it didn't happen because mm. the COVID thing. And this year, fingers crossed. So, has that been a you know has that left a hole in your life and you can't wait to get back to? Or I,
1: I again, it's like I try and spend as much time as I can in in now. Do you know, am I, I? I'm okay. My children are okay. My friends. So I don't really kind of uh, go. It's not fair. Do you know. Because yeah. I, I, but you can miss it. I guess it's a two headed kind of dragon if you like it's like my wife has and i have had a such a wonderful time being together because i'm not stressed to the nines mm. you know so that's been really nice the year off i mean Glastonbury they 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 have a fallow year yep. you need a break from these things yeah they're full on i was set to build fish town which i'm massively excited about because i have a Uh, a a huge tent, uh, uh, an area in Electric Picnic, but they were about to give me another one and I was going to put four more stages in, well, no, sorry, I am going to put four more stages in, um, a cafe, a bar and a cinema. I really want uh, a place where everyone feels, and we're actually now, you know, everything's going to be crazy. Uh, We were going to have like rules of behaviour, you know what I mean? I don't want litter. Where yeah. I live, you know what I mean? You yeah. can just fuck off, please. We even, we even uh, wanted to have uh, the Pony Girls police force. So we're going to have our own police force <laughs> and town. So the town excites me, yeah. whereas I'm a massive fan of uh, and inspired by places like the Unfair Ground in Glastonbury and Shangri-La and just that whole alternative experience. Mm-hmm. I mean, it thrills me. Vader puts together the drag show yeah. for me. And it's the one thing I won't miss in my tent, you know, <laughs> because it just thrills me. The exposure of people who have never been to a drag yes. show, and they're you know, or, and you know, we have you know, and it gets a little seedy. We have we have strippers and all yeah. sorts of things, and seeing a farmer watch a stripper for the first time yeah. is <laughs> such a delight. So I, I just get, um, I get a thrill out of, and everybody everybody's safe. I don't have a laminates to come in backstage yeah. in my place. we have had the Sultan subping, we we've yeah. had Ash. I remember the somebody saying to you, know Ash are too big for your stage, Jerry. And I'm like, Well get me a bigger stage. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, of course I miss it. I've built a little theatre in my I'm lucky I live in the country. I have a big barn. I have building skills. Um so over the winter I knew I had to be occupied. I didn't really want to think about the music business or coming back or so I built a small theatre at home. I can't really do the kind of virtual thing. I prefer well, to do I, a real I thing.
0: Some, I hate the virtual thing too. But
1: and I'd like to film a real thing as well. I think a lot of this virtual stuff is so staged. Yeah. I, I, the best fun at any festival is when your mates are all sitting around yeah. kind of talking. Yeah. So I'd love to kind of maybe do something like that. Have you done do anything like in that. your
0: home theatre yet? Yeah.
1: No, nothing, yeah. Well, i watched Glastonbury. I put a screen up and I watched <laughs> Glastonbury this year with a couple of friends. So that we did have fun, but not as much fun as going to Glastonbury. And, you know, it's like, yeah, of course, well, there's a massive hole in my life trying <laughs>
0: to help. Well, fingers crossed you get to go back to Electric Picnic this year. We will um, go back, you yeah. know, for sure. I, 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 I think so. Please. Yes, please, Scott. Anyway, Jerry Fish or Gerald Whelan, as your mother probably ca- still called you. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's so, been an absolute so uh, a pleasure. I've had a whale of a time. Excellent, yes, yes. yes. Keep swimming on, Derek. Any more? I honestly hope you get to. Um, Tear it up again at Electric Picnic this year, and I look forward to many more years of nonsense with you. Oh, there'll be lots of nonsense. <laughs> thank you so much, and thanks to Keen Boylan for coming in and, and yes. playing with you again today. So, thank you so thank much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Whew. Thank you. Hope I didn't wrap it on too much. No, 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 God, that was a good, nice, easy chat.